Well, today is Easter, and it's the day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And usually with this, we focus on all the things that are building up to it. We focus on the actual resurrection, and there are some things that over the past year, and whenever I say year, I mean the past year about Resurrection Sunday that have been coming to my mind. And as I have been processing this, what I want to do today is share with you this thought process that God has given me over the past year, and it's straight from the Easter story in details in a way that I really haven't thought about it, maybe the way that I should, or maybe God just wants to teach me something different. But in order to set you up for this, and in order for you to understand, I'm just curious, how many of y'all watched basketball last night? Did, did anybody watch the game? Did anybody stay up through the Gonzaga game? And it is the Gonzaga game because they won. Well, the game was back and forth. It went into overtime, and with about 18 seconds left, UCLA lost the lead. In fact, Gonzaga had the lead. They were winning by two, and I just want you to kind of look at the screen, and you can see how the final seconds of the game unfolded. And as you're watching this, I'm going to give you commentary because if we play for you what was shown last night, Facebook shuts us off, right? And so please play this video and just kind of watch along as you can see. UCLA, they miss a shot. 3.3 seconds left, they tie the game. It's very exciting, very exciting. And then you got three, two, one. Boom, game over. You see it? This countdown that was taking place in the game happens in life. And as you're watching this, there's something that I could see taking place from what actually happened versus what should have happened on Easter Sunday. On Easter Sunday, it's the day, right, that we worship and we praise Jesus. We see the resurrection. But in my mind, we missed it. In my mind, the disciples on this glorious day, the greatest day in human history, missed it. What should have been taking place outside of the tomb on Resurrection Sunday, what should have been taking place as dawn was turning into morning, what should have taken place was a great countdown. There should have been followers of Jesus surrounding the tomb. What should have been taking place that night is not all of his followers in hiding, not people going back to their old way of life, not people going away discouraged and down and just completely out of hope and misery and everything else. What should have happened outside of the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, where Jesus' body laid in that garden tomb, was all of his followers surrounding it. And you can see it as the sun was coming up. Everybody should have been around, and it should have been like 10, 9, 8, 7, 6. Everybody, come on, get ready. 5, 4, 3, 2, why is it Easter, right? Like the stones should have been rolled away, and they all should have been there. They should have been ready. They should have listened to Jesus, and they should have done what he said. Instead, something else took place that day. Instead, when Jesus had told them what was going to happen, when they should have been filled with hope and excitement, they were quite the opposite. And this is where we're going to pick up the text in Mark chapter 16 as we walk through verses 1 through 7. As you look at the text, this is the morning of the resurrection. This is Easter Sunday. Mark chapter 16 verse 1 starts off and it said, And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices 
so they might go and anoint him. That is to go and anoint the dead body. And very early on the first day of the week, that is on Sunday, which is why we worship today instead of Saturday. On the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. On the very first Easter Sunday, the resurrection was not in the mind of his followers. On the very first Easter Sunday, all they could think of was Golgotha. All they could think of is the place of the school where they had seen Jesus' body lifted in the air, where they had seen him bleed and died, where they had seen their Savior pierced in the side and blood and water pass out, where they had remembered as they had taken down his body and put it in the grave. They were only thinking about the fell in their mind that their Savior wasn't the Messiah. On that day, all they could think of was death, not life. Verse 1 says, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. What you see is a group of ladies, three ladies, three very close followers, very close friends, very close people to Jesus, who were devoted to Jesus, but they were distracted. They were devoted to Jesus, but all they could think of was the problems that they had because Jesus did not meet their expectation. They thought that Jesus was going to overthrow the Roman government. They thought that he would be the Messiah who could not suffer and die. They thought that Jesus was going to come and live and, and be something that he wasn't. He did not meet their expectations. They were devoted. They came bringing spices. They were ready to anoint the body of Jesus. They were devoted to him. They rose up early in the morning, but they were distracted from Jesus' message. And I think this is so very important for us. Because a lot of times as followers of Jesus Christ, we set expectations on God that are quite the opposite of what he tells us in his word. When we have hardship or health issues, we look at God and we say, where are you? When our finances are what, they, what we want them to be, we like, God, I thought following you would give me all these blessings. We miss it. And they missed it too. They were devoted. They showed up. But they were distracted from the very words of Jesus. Verse 2 says this. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. I don't know how many of you in here are morning people. But this is not like waking up at 6 a.m. These are the crazy people who wake up at 4.30 or 5. Do we have any of you in the room? How many of y'all know you're crazy for waking up that early? Some of you are like, no, morning is the best time. No, it's not. You can't rise before the sun. There's just something wrong there. And if you're one of those people, blessings upon you. I'm not. I'm not. 
But you can see that the followers of Jesus, right, these women who loved him, who cared for them, they didn't have just a good heart. They had a great heart because they rose before the sun, right? They were getting ready and they were preparing and they were going with Jesus in mind. They had a good heart. They just had bad hope. And I think this describes so many followers of Jesus today. We intend to do well. We think the best, but we, we give up hope. We want to follow Jesus. We want to believe in Jesus. We want to trust Jesus. But in the back of our mind, whenever we pray for a lost friend, whenever we pray for healing, whenever we pray for X, Y, or Z, we come before God and we're like, I'm going to pray for, you, for this. and I'm going to come before you with my burden. I'm going to do this, but I know you're not going to hear me. I know you're, you're not going to heal me. I know you're, you're not going to give me this or, or, or answer that question, but I'm going to pray because it's what we're supposed to do. I'm going to pray because I think it, I'm supposed to, but it doesn't even make a difference. These women had a good, good heart. They wanted to take care of the body of Jesus because the body of Jesus was going to decay very quickly and it was going to smell. There was going to be a stench from the tomb of Jesus, and they brought the spices to anoint his body so that they could cover the smell. Because in a hot Middle Eastern sun, if you did not properly anoint the body, that's what happened. They went to take care of the dead, and that's the fell. Good heart, bad hope. Whenever you think about how they woke up early, when it was still dawn, how they went before the tomb, you see nothing but good intentions here, but they just miss a mark. I wonder how many of us still might have a good heart for God. We want to give, we want to sacrifice, we want to serve, but we doubt the significance of the investment in the eternal kingdom of God. Look at verse 1 through 3 as we go back to Mark chapter 16. It says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when they saw the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? See, this stone that covered the tomb of Jesus was probably about six feet tall, and it weighed anywhere between five and 600 pounds. It was too great of a task for three women or three men to move by themselves. They needed help, and as they were going before the tomb, they had this mindset that we're prepped. We've got our spices, we've got the right heart, we're doing this, but they were not prepared for what they were about to see. And the craziest thing about this is it shows that they heard Jesus, but they failed to listen to Jesus. They heard his teachings, and they followed after him, and they listened intently, and they read, and they studied, and they understood the word, but they failed to apply it to their daily life. They failed to believe the word of God. They were hearers, not doers. And as you think through the situation with spices in hand, they were not prepared for what they were about to see and experience. I love verse 4. Verse 4 is a great four verse. And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled away. It was very large. Mark wants you to understand that it's not a small stone. This is a big stone, and it had been rolled back. And entering the tomb... Right, this is such a, a powerful thought. They see the stone roll back, and you got to imagine what the mother of Jesus was thinking, right? What happened to my baby boy who stole his body? Where is he? What happened here? 
Who took him? Who's messing with his body? Who's desecrating Jesus? This is a woman, right, who saw her son beaten. This is a woman who saw her son with a crown of thorns on his head. This is a woman who saw her son beaten within an inch of his life and then nailed to a tree. She was there when he bled and died and she sees this stone rolled away. Can you imagine the panic? Have you ever been in Walmart or Target or maybe Disney World and you can't find your kid and all you feel is panic overtaking you in that moment? That is the distress that Mary is feeling right now. Mary Magdalene, right? She was the one who anointed Jesus in Mark chapter 14 who took her most valuable thing, her life savings, her retirement plan. She broke it and she anointed the head and the feet of Jesus, right? She anointed him head to toe with this ointment. She's there and she's got to be thinking, who would do this to my Jesus? And they go into the tomb. And as they walk in the tomb, there's no body. When they walk in the tomb, according to to verse 5, entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. They were distressed. This word, alarmed, means to be distressed to be in a state of panic and fear. Fear overcame them in this moment. The panic of a mother who could not find her son. The panic of a missing child. And then they see this young man sitting beside the place where Jesus' body lay, this angel. And in this moment, you see the kindness And the compassion of our God in the midst of our struggles and our pain. 2020 was a year, wasn't it? Over the past 13 months, we have seen people who have been anxious like no other time in their lifetime. People who had this fear. People who had this concern. People who had this almost awareness That if they were to leave their house, they might actually die if they just went to somewhere like the store. If they got sick, maybe their children would get sick and their children would suffer a lifetime of pain because of this stupid disease, distress. We know what what this is like. We know what it is like to experience this because we have had a year of it. And as the angel of the Lord, the spokesperson for Jesus, begins to speak, where the tomb had been opened up because the stone had been rolled away, you see the words of the representation of Jesus Christ, and he said to them, do not be alarmed. Do not be alarmed. And Mary smacked him across the face and said, you don't tell me how to feel. That didn't happen. The angel looks at them and says, do not be alarmed. Calm down. Ease your panic. Take a deep breath. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. Can, can you see the emotions of Mary? Can you feel it in the text? Her baby boy that she watched suffer and die the most gruesome of deaths. Not there. Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee There you will see him. And then he says this little thing at the end of it. Just as he told you. And these women, these women had no response in this moment. 
He is gone just as he had told you. They were speechless. And as you think through this, how there's no response recorded in the tomb, they are given a challenge in verse 7 to go and tell. Again, outside the tomb of Jesus. All of his followers should have been surrounding the tomb, waiting for him to resurrect from the dead. Instead, everyone missed Jesus. All of his followers failed him that day. We're not talking about simple fails. We're talking about everyone that Jesus had spent three years of his life pouring into. Not just like hanging out with them. They were always together for three years. He taught them and instructed them and poured into them. He loved them and cared them and taught for them. He was patient with them. He constantly reminded them of why he was going to be there. He tried to teach. He tried to pour in. He tried to invest. And they all missed it. All of them. The night before, he had told them, this woman is anointing my head for burial. He told them that he was about to die. Before he was betrayed by a kiss, he told his followers, one of you is going to, just, is going to betray me. He let everyone know, not once or twice, but throughout his lifetime, especially through this intense time of discipleship. Mark 8.31 says it this way. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. Mark chapter 9, verse 30 through 31 says it this way. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. Mark chapter 10 says it this way. And talking with the 12 again, he began to tell them what was about to happen to them. Verse 33 saying, we are going up to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and three days later he will arise. Three days later, they told him, Mark chapter 14, she is anointing my head for burial. Now you tell me, you tell me as you look at Jesus, you tell me whenever you look at the followers of Jesus Christ, how big your mistakes are. You tell me when you look at Jesus, how big your mess ups are. Here's the problem that believers have today. Believers think that because we have failed in the past, God will not use us in the future. Believers think that somehow we can limit God because of the mistakes in our backpack, the failures that we had in our past. I want you to just think about this. How many times when Jesus needed you most, did you tuck tail and run? How many times when somebody put you right in front, maybe a little girl stood before you and said, do you know Jesus? Did you deny Jesus and before a servant girl three times? How many times have you completely run away from your faith when the going got tough? All of the disciples did this. All of the disciples abandoned Jesus. The only people there that were there to even anoint the body were three women. None of his followers, none of his disciples, not Peter, not James, not John. They were all gone. There was no countdown at the tomb. There was no five, 
four, three, two, one. Easter. There was a deafening silence at the tomb of Jesus. And whenever I think of this, I think of the excuses that we give God for why he can't love us. I think about the excuses that we give God why he can't use us. The excuses we give God while he will not fulfill the vision that he has for us or maybe even all our church. Please do not miss this. Easter, Easter Sunday is all about redemption. And the redemption is not when you clean your life up and get going and you get everything worked out. Redemption is immediate. There are four redemptive responsibilities that Jesus gave these people who showed up, these women who showed up without hope, these women who showed up not following the teachings of Jesus, not expecting Jesus to do what he said he would do, these people who might have been devoted and loved him but just completely missed it. Four redemptive responsibilities. Verse 7, but go tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. The first redemptive responsibility that we see is go tell. These people who missed it, right? These people who missed Jesus. Jesus looks at these three women and he says, go tell. Now think about this. These are those who completely had disregarded or ignored or forgotten or didn't want to see or didn't believe or didn't know or didn't cling to the words of Jesus that he said he would come back, that he would be raised from the dead three days later. These people that missed it, God looked at them, he says, go tell. First responsibility, you go tell. We need to quit telling God what he cannot do through us. We need to quit telling God why he cannot use us. Go tell. You missed it, that's fine. Go tell. And then he went and he had this message for these women to transfer to his followers who were hiding in the upper room. The same room where Jesus had had the Lord's Supper and instituted that. The Passover feast the night before, or four nights before. Jesus is there and he goes, go tell my disciples. Go tell the disciples that I have risen from the dead. Go tell them. Go tell them that hope is not lost. Go tell them in the midst of their despair that King Jesus reigns. Go tell them. They need to know that I am who I said I am and that I did what I said I would do. Go tell my disciples. There is power in this because they had left him, but Jesus never left us. And please hear me, when you fail to love Jesus the way that you're supposed to, our God never stops loving you. And then there's this powerful, powerful thought. He singles out Peter. Go tell Peter. Peter, who stood before Jesus and all the twelve and said, even if I must die with you, I will never forsake you. Peter, who did good because he actually showed up at this court hearing. He actually showed up at the trial of Jesus. He was actually there, but this little servant girl walks up. You're, you're a follower of Jesus. No, I'm not. We're talking about a 12, 13-year-old girl. No, I've seen you with him. No, you haven't. No, I, I know you're him. Woman, I do not know him. And a curse be upon me if I'm lying in the rooster crows. Peter. And Jesus looks through his angel and makes sure that Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene and Salome go and they find Peter. Tell Peter. 
Now, when Peter fully gets the news of this, we see him in John chapter 21, and he has not only abandoned the way of Jesus, he has returned to his old life. He is fishing. Can you, can you see why, though? He thought Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be the one who was going to overthrow the Roman government. He thought Jesus was going to be the, the Messiah who was the promised one of God. He had all these thoughts. He was the one who made the declaration, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And can you imagine what he's thinking in this moment? The guilt that he has to live with. I cannot believe I denied Jesus to a little girl. And in his shame, he's got to be thinking, there's no way Jesus would love me again. In his despair, he's got to think that he has been discarded by Jesus. But Jesus makes a point. For the women to tell Jesus. And in John chapter 21, he makes a point to face to face redeem Peter. There on the Sea of Galilee, he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love me. A third time, Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things you know. I love you. You can feel it, right? Peter, the guilt and the shame. And the embarrassment because he failed his Savior. You know all things. And Jesus looks at him. Go and feed my sheep. And the message he gave Peter on the Sea of Galilee on that shore. The message that he gave Mary, Mary and Salome. The message that he gave his disciples were to go tell the world. We are here. Not because the disciples got it right on Resurrection Sunday. We are here. Generations of followers of Jesus Christ because our God is a God of redemption. And our Savior redeems those who fail and our God does not give up on us. Soon after the resurrection of Jesus, he assembled the people in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God used a group of failures to transform the world for his glory. And God is still using redeemed people to redeem people through the message of Jesus Christ. There are three useful truths that we get from this story that I think are imperative for us to remember. Number one, you are never too far gone for God's redemption. It doesn't matter what you have done yesterday, what you did last night, what you did this morning, what you did five years or 25 years ago. It does not matter. Your sin is not greater than God's grace. God's grace is greater than all of your sin. And you might cling to your regrets and your mistakes. You might have trouble forgiving yourself or forgiving others. But you stand with a forgiveness waiting you if you will just ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins. Number two, your failures do not determine your future. The disciples are not remembered for their failure on Easter Sunday. They are remembered for their sacrifice. And all but one of them died for the name of Jesus Christ. Where they once were ashamed... Through Christ and the redemptive power, seeing their Savior face to face, they gave their life for the cause of Jesus Christ. You might look back and say, you know what, I did X, Y, or Z, and because of this, God will never use me. God looks at your mistake, and he uses it as a catapult for his glory for you to be used by him because our God is an overcomer. Three, your fresh start is waiting. 
There is no reason you cannot be saved today. When Christ overcame sin, death, and the grave, when he rose from the dead, he offers life to all and anyone who will believe in him. He has risen, and your fresh start is waiting when you call upon his name. Salvation is at your fingertips. Maybe you identify with Jesus Christ. Maybe you identify as a follower. You say, yes, I am a Christian, and you look at your life, and you don't want to say it publicly because you have just been fallen and failing. Please understand this. At any moment, and God does not look at you with shame or embarrassment. God does not look at you and hide you. You are not the family member. He does not want to acknowledge or invite over on Easter Sunday. You are his prized possession that he gave his son to die for. And whenever you turn back to God, as soon as you turn around, God is there waiting to receive you just as you are. Our God is a God of redemption. And you have two choices with Jesus. You can accept the gift of Jesus Christ. You can accept his redemption. You can accept his forgiveness. You can accept his fresh start. You can, re, you can accept any of the goodness and the blessings of Jesus Christ. Or the second option is you can continue to reject Jesus. You can reject him and live a life as though you do not know him at all. You can turn your back and go your own way. Our God is not a God who programs us and makes us love him. He is the same God in the Old Testament that says, you and your house, you choose whom you will serve. He gives us the freedom to know. He gives us the freedom to decide. And really, it all comes down to one question, one decision that you must make. What will you do with the empty tomb?